Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Tiffany in Rome, Katie in Seattle, and today, Tiffany, I'm going to just throw it over to you because you're presenting today's topic. Right. Well, first of all, I should say that right now, as we're sitting here, Taping this, not quite so much now because I have earphones in, but I can still hear it. There is someone somewhere above my head playing Debussy on the piano. So Katie, my dream has come true for the second time in a row in my life, which is that I have someone in my building near me who's an amazing piano player. This happened when I was living in Trastevere and my last apartment in Trastevere when Aurelio was a baby. It was that year, I think, that all of a sudden I woke up one morning and I could hear Chopin's Ballade Number no. 1 being played very nearby. And you can tell when it's live and when it's a recording. You can just tell. And I couldn't believe it because that apartment was kind of like, you know, a lot of expats are coming in and out. There's a few Airbnbs in there. There weren't like any old Italian families that had been there for generations in that building. It was mostly, you know, people coming and going. So not as common that you would have someone with their own piano and playing it that well. Mm-hmm. And I was just marveling at it. And that piece of music, Chopin's Ballade Number no. 1, is extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. Like, you don't just sit down and play that because you had eight years of piano. Like, that's a conservatory-level piece of music. I kept listening to it and kept listening and thinking, this has got to be recording. It's too good. And then, But then he'd stop, you know, because he was practicing. And finally, I went upstairs. I'm going to find out who this is. Finally found the guy, a very nice man who was American, actually, in his 50s and had decided just on the drop of a hat to move to Italy. He had been in the military. I think he'd been, I think he was retired from the military and was like, hey, I'm going to move to Italy and happened to also be a concert pianist. Amateur, I suppose. But anyway, I used to go over and listen to him play. So this is a long way of saying that just in the past week or two, we've had someone move into this building who is playing the piano. And I haven't been able to hear it quite as well. So I think it's a little bit further off, not like right above me, but maybe on the other side of the building. She's playing Debussy, which is another one of my favorite piano composers. I mean, like, there's nothing like just listening to a little Debussy when you're, like, lounging around your house and knowing that it's (laughs) coming from what could be the next room. I just love that. I don't know, maybe some people would be annoyed by it, but Mm. I just love it, and so I'm thrilled. What this all relates to, the point that I'm getting to, is the first thought that popped into my head was, I want to take piano lessons. (laughs) Why not have you be the person who's playing this echoing through the halls? Well, I will never be able to play that well. Definitely not Chopin's Ballade Number no. 1. That is not my fate. No, I mean, it's just, I have played piano on and off, 
but I've never really like, you know, made an effort. You know, I've never taken lessons mm-hmm. since I was a child. I can read music, so I can pick out songs and I can, you know, I can figure out the fingering and, and I have a basic understanding of the instrument, but I'm not going to improve by myself, I don't think. Yeah. So what all this relates to, whether or not I'm going to take piano lessons, which I haven't truly decided, um, is this. It's, you know, when we have sudden a sudden desire to do something, to study something, to try something new, to try an activity. And, and I mean, I think that this is especially probably true for children because they're the ones who are really out there trying new stuff, mm-hmm. really. And adults, we, we do it too sometimes, hopefully. What is it that sparks that interest for us? Is it... So, and you you hear stories about people. I had a friend who, when I was in college, who was a who was a concert pianist. She was studying to become a concert pianist, and and she was from Cuba. And not that that has anything to do with the story, but I just that's one of the things I remember most about her. You know, we were all sort of talking about how we got into music, and she said, "When I was a little girl, my father died, and I went into deep, deep depression. Mm-hmm. And my mother took me to a psychologist, and the psychologist said, give her piano lessons mm-hmm. as a way to distract her. And mm-hmm. she just fell in love with the piano, and she." The result is that then she becomes, you know, this amazing pianist. Obviously, that's not going to happen to everybody. Every child who takes piano lessons isn't going to become a, a you know, <laughs> a conservatory level pianist. But I mean, what is it? Sometimes you think, well, is it something that truly came from you, from within you? Or is it something that came from outside? Like, did something spark your interest? Did someone who you admire do something and you suddenly want to do it? Or were you just exposed to this? Like, are you more exposed to sports as a child? Or are you more exposed to the arts or Mm -hmm. to science? Like, is that what makes the difference, you know? And, you know, there are families in which, you know, there are several incredible musicians in the same family. And there are some families in which, you know, you have a long line of scientists and then one of the children's children becomes an artist or vice versa so i mean i don't think there's a hard and fast rule but i think it's a fun idea to explore Mm -hmm. and i i don't know about you but i have so many different examples of i can trace back what it was that sparked the interest in me oh i know i was just thinking like could i could i go back and see what sparked the interest but maybe give me one of your examples well I don't know if this counts because I was so little that it was clearly, it clearly did come from within me as well as coming from without. But when I was two years old, my sister, my older sister, who was five at the time, was taking ballet lessons. You know, so, so typical for little girls to take ballet lessons. And my mom took me with her because I was two. So I went everywhere with her and we went and we picked up my sister or dropped her off or I don't know, we were waiting there. I have very hazy memories of this moment, but my mom has very good memories. And she tells me I stood watching this class completely dumbstruck. (laughs) My jaw hung open and I couldn't tear my eyes away from these girls who were doing ballet. And I said, Mom, I want to do ballet. I want to take ballet. And I was kind of really too young for it, really. And she went out and she bought me a pair of ballet slippers, which were the smallest kind that they make. Mm-hmm. And they were too big for me. I still have them, by the way. <laughs> she sa- she saved them and gave them to me. They were too big for me. And if you look at photographs of me between the ages of two and four, I only wore ballet clothes. Right. Uh, I-, I sometimes would wear other clothes on top if it was cold. But like every single photograph of me, I'm in ballet clothes. Like a leotard and tights, not a tutu, leotard and tights, like traditional, like going to ballet lesson, Mm -hmm. leotard and tights with the ballet slippers. And I I remember saying, mom, why did you only ever take pictures of me on like dance class day? And she's like, no, honey, you don't understand. That's how you dressed for two years. (laughs) So, I mean, Um, it might be hard and hazy to remember, but 
do you have any idea what it was that you were seeing that captivated you? Was it the clothes? Was it the movement? Was it the fact that your sister was doing it? Was it the music that it was a bunch of little girls it, dancing together? You know, it could be any number of things. Do you have I, any idea? I did love the music. I loved the music. I loved the bar exercises, mm-hmm. the plies. I loved doing that. I still to this day love the bar ex- the classical traditional ballet bar exercises mm-hmm. i love the music it wasn't really about my sister i don't think she never you know she that she she was not interested and she, so she didn't continue taking it and i ended up taking ballet for years and years and years and then i sort of dropped out in i would i would probably say middle school late middle school i stopped doing it um and the funny thing is katie and this is what I thought about before I thought about that two-year-old me watching the other ballet girls. This I have a very, very distinct memory of because I was so much older when I was in high school and I was already deeply entrenched in theater, deeply entrenched in, you know, voice lessons, kind of having found my path that what I thought was my path of going into classical singing. We went to see, my mom and I went to see the, the Phantom of the Opera. And there's a scene in that play in which the lead character, she's like a chorus girl, right, in, in this opera. She's a ballet dancer in, in this opera that's being produced in the late 1800s. She's a singer, really, but she's dressed like a ballerina. And she's got ballet slippers on. And, you know, it's kind of like they're showing, like, the backstage of these girls, like, pre- pre- preparing for the show. And for some reason, and it's very similar to this piano player upstairs. It's kind of superficial, right? Mm-hmm. There happens to be a piano player in the building. I'm like, all of a sudden, oh, I want to do that. You know, it's... It's kind of a superficial desire. And the same thing happened to me that night. I said, oh, mom, I want to take ballet lessons again. Mm. You know, here I was 15, 14 or 15 years old. I wasn't a little little girl anymore, you know, and I, and I certainly didn't have any ambition to become a professional dancer at that point in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I missed it. I realized looking at the ballerinas, looking at, which they weren't even doing, it wasn't even a ballet. It was musical theater performers dressed in ballet costume. Right. Just looking at the point shoes and everything. I just, oh, I, I missed that life. I missed all of that. I missed that. I missed doing that. Mm-hmm. I said, I want to start taking ballet again. And I did. And I started ballet, I think it was freshman or sophomore year in high school. And I did it for the rest of high school. And I loved it. Hmm. So it makes me think of two different things. You telling that story. Because I mean, I get the idea that you would see them on stage, like all standing around as ballerinas and think, you know, even not just the dancing, but also the standing around as ballerinas. Like I miss sort of being a part of that crew. <laughs> I can remember... It's kind of the opposite effect, actually. So when I was a kid, I didn't do a lot of lessons as a kid. I did things that were sort of free or community-based, but I think that was because of financial means within my family. So I had a friend who did all sorts of cool things that I got to sit and watch and envy, but I didn't actually do them. (laughs) I just watched her uh, ice skate from the sidelines. I learned to figure skate at five in the morning, and I used to go watch her, but I never had any designs that that would be me out there. Although I did take piano lessons for one year, and personally, I did not like it one bit, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I liked being able to play the piano. I couldn't stand everything else about it. So uh, that didn't last very long. And now, of course, as an adult, I wish I could play the piano better than I can. Oh, well. Uh, But (laughs) I had something about you seeing a show. It it reminded me of um, one night when I went to the Boston Pops concert. I think I was a middle schooler probably a seventh or eighth grade. And when I was an elementary schooler, I took classes in the summer. It was some sort of summer program where kids could take a whole bunch of different things. And I always took gymnastics. 
Uh, and I was particularly good at the vault, uh, you know, where you run up and do a bunch of flips and land on the thing. And I was a very small, compact child. And so at the time they thought, well, if she really stays in this, I remember a coach saying this, if she stays in this, she's going to be great. She's going to be an amazing vaulter because I had sort of a natural knack for what to do with my body that they thought was kind of unusual for that age. And I mean, I was equally terrible at the beam and at the uh, uneven bars. So, I mean, it wasn't like I was across the board a talented gymnast, but I did seem to have some sort of natural knack for the vault. And I think we went to this Boston Pops concert, and I believe they must have played a song from the 80s. I don't remember what they were playing or what the circumstance was, but I believe that they played a song that was one that was kind of a popular one that they would play in the gym when we were doing these gymnastics exercises. I don't know. My guess would be it was Axel F, which was from uh, Beverly Hills Cop, because that was a really popular one with... um, It made a really good tumbling pass, you know, (laughs) back in the day. And if you listen to it, you'll hear what I'm saying. But anyway, they were playing it, and all of a sudden I found that I was just in tears watching it. And you know what it was? It wasn't that I wish I could get back into it. It was that I hadn't stuck with it. It really is a sport that you have to build on and build on and build on. And I knew that it was too late for me. It wasn't like I was going to be 13 years old and getting into gymnastics. You know, it was like I should have stayed. And and it was a feeling I missed and a thing I knew I didn't really have the confidence for because it had been so long. And I just felt like, oh... That was a thing that I could have done, and it was my first big opportunity to realize like that there will come a time in life when your opportunity to do something is over. And mm-hmm. that one comes earlier because of the way gymnastics is on the body. But yeah, ballet just... is the same. No 14-year-old girl is going to step into ballet. It's too late by that point. Either you've already been spotted and you're on the track to be a professional or it's yeah. Or it's never going to happen. Well, I mean, it wasn't even that I felt like, oh, I, I should have been an Olympian. You know, it was it was more <laughs> that it just felt like, you know, even physically now, it's too late to pick this up. You mm-hmm. can't go from being a vaulter in third grade to like, you know, doing that same kind of motion with an adult, more adult body. It just, you know, mm-hmm. it just doesn't happen. So that's one thing I thought of. The other thing I thought of was how you sometimes have like kind of a a little tiny trigger like that, like where you just see people on the stage standing around in ballet outfits and you're like, oh my gosh, I've got to do that. Uh, <laughs> and I think for me that you remember the movie Back to the Future, I assume. Oh, oh yes. Oh yes, very well. <laughs> my sister was obsessed with that movie and so we watched it a lot. I could probably quote entire scenes of it. Yeah, yes, as could I. We could probably do the whole movie here if we really wanted to. <laughs> but let's not. But I think that that movie was what triggered me to want to ride a skateboard because of the way that um, Marty McFly would ride like ride his skateboard holding onto the back of cars and like flinging himself onto sidewalks and such. But it's interesting because it's also specific in the sense that I didn't want to ride a skateboard and do tricks. Like I didn't want to be in a skate bowl or something like that, like a lot of kids were interested in. I just wanted to use it for transportation. That was it. Mm. That was the the extent. And and 
so I bought my first skateboard at a at a yard sale probably when I was 14 years old and I would just ride it around in my driveway you know learning how to like stand on it and steer it around and then when I was in my early 20s that is how I got around I Mm -hmm. would you know I worked in a bar at the time and I would leave my house with however many minutes I had to get to the bar which was in the same neighborhood that I lived in jump on my skateboard ride it as fast as I could along the sidewalks and the streets and like would pull up around the bar, wave to the guys. I would whip around this one corner to get to where the bar was and I would wave to the guys in this other bar as I went past and they called me Skatey Katie. And people always asked if I could, because there was a skate bowl nearby and they always asked me if I was there, did I hang out there on the weekends? Did I do this? And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want to become like a skater. I don't want to become like a trick professional I just want to use it to get from one place to another and it is a rather unfussy type of transportation it really is like imagine if you if I was riding a bike I'd have to stop and lock it up somewhere you know as as it was I just picked it up and walked inside and stuck it with my jacket in the back closet and it's brilliant did my shift yeah I know and I think that comes from Back to the Future. Like, I really it's think so that that's, funny. that's where it begins. I'm going to tell Claudio that because he also grew up obsessed with that film. And uh, when we were in Burbank the last time, he made me, he always does this. He's like, he, he knows these like random film locations. I feel like these random, like, <laughs> yeah. it's not like, oh my gosh, this film, this beautiful backdrop. It's like, no, it's a street in LA. That's where... Marty McFly is holding onto the back of the truck uh-huh, yeah. and he, he's there taking pictures and anyway, <laughs> uh, so I will, he will get a kick out of that. Yes. Yeah. I have another example, which is Aurelio. Your son he, for the new people. My son. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Claudio, so Aurelio, husband. No, we are not big soccer people yes. in this house. Not that either Claudio and I have anything against the sport of soccer, but this soccer culture professional soccer culture in Italy is a bit obnoxious. <laughs> and so, um, and it's all pervading, you know, it's like, it, I think, I feel like in the United States, you've got basketball, you've got football, you've got hockey in certain parts of the country, you've got, um, what's the other one? Baseball. Uh, you know, you've got so many different sports that lots of people are passionate about. Mm-hmm. But in Italy, it's kind of just this one sport. And yes, other sports exists, exist, but they're not anywhere nearly as popular so you got this kind of like everybody's into calcio and everybody says who do you support you support roma or lazio and i'm just roll my eyes and i just you're like who's Uh, ever on when i'm at the party that's a soccer party (laughs) you know yeah i'll just do whatever (laughs) yes um so anyway we we never watch it it's never on we're never following it but of course he he came into contact with it through school friends and in first grade he started you know getting interested in it and kind of got to the point where he really liked it and can I take soccer lessons and we're like not right now maybe maybe when you're older right now you already signed up for some stuff and then he kind of passed you know the passion for it kind of passed um waned let's say and I even saw that, you know, when he would be like let's go outside and play like you know he wouldn't always get the soccer ball you know sometimes he get his bike or his little scooter or whatever. And I was kind of thrilled about this secretly. And then he got, as regular listeners will already know, he got a Nintendo Switch for Christmas. 
And one of the games that he got with it is like a professional soccer game, right? Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, I, I got to admit, it's like for a kid who grew up playing Atari, <laughs> that those right. games are quite, uh, they're quite realistic. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's all these different teams. You can play on any team you want. And I can understand why a kid would love that. But point being, after about two days of playing this game, he went into his room, he got dressed in his soccer clothes and he came out and said, <laughs> I'm into soccer again. He just announced it. <laughs> Guess who's back into soccer? And Me. I was like, oh, yeah. great. <laughs> um, but so I do think that these passions can be, can certainly be triggered by outside factors. But I wonder if we have a true deep, you know, an incredible talent. If someone, you know, any person on the, in the world, uh, you know, if they were to have an amazing talent, does that talent always come to the forefront how mm. how common is it for those talents to be completely overlooked and never discovered even by the person because if a person doesn't have the opportunity to sit down at a piano mm -hmm. how would they ever know that they could play the piano that they had talent for it um yeah that's true because it is so much about opportunity and being able to try it and see if you're any good and not only if you're any good but if you like it at all that, if you like it yeah it's that also the stirring of the soul so to speak does something awaken in you when you get the chance to play the piano for the first time or for the 14th time you know yeah it's a good it's a good question because we always think that you know, if somebody's a master at something, extremely talented at, that of course they would have found their way, but maybe not. You know, I, I'm sure it's as much about opportunity as it is discovery. Although you may just be sort of naturally pulled in directions, even as uh, a person, if you don't have an opportunity, like even if you never get the chance to play the piano, you still might just have a pause when you hear a piece of music. It might... Uh, wake you up more than it might wake up somebody else yeah but what a tragedy though like when you look at i for me it's it's easier to it's easy to make comparisons with music because that's the kind of world that i lived in for so long but you know you look at a an incredible professional musician and you think what if that talent exists that same exact talent obviously you have to have the drive and the, and the discipline to practice but what if that same talent exists in this joe schmo who's sitting next to me and it never was developed, uh, never discovered, maybe never even discovered. And, you know, it's sad. It makes me sad. Well, I mean, it must happen like a thousand times over, like over and I'm over sure and over again. Yeah. I'm sure it does. But it's nevertheless, I mean, it's, it's an unanswerable question. But, I, you know, I love to think about, you know, how much is external, how much is internal. We've all seen The Queen's Gambit. Right, I think mm -hmm. you know where the little orphan girl walks down and sees the guy playing chess and immediately knows that that's what she's supposed to be doing. Is it really like that? If there was a little orphan who you know had that kind of talent for the piano, would they find their way? Would they find a piano? Would they find a teacher? Maybe they would. Maybe I don't know. It's just I don't know. I find it. I find it kind of fun to to tease out that idea. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it's probably opportunity, and other parts probably tenacity. You know, I had a friend who who I actually met in Rome and his parents, he had a lot of siblings and his parents didn't have any money to like provide them with any kind of classes as a kid. I think it was similar with him. I think he wanted to play the piano or I think it, specifically the organ. And his parents were like, well, if you want to learn how to play the organ, then 
go find somebody who plays the organ and see what you can do in exchange for them to give you lessons. That is the way to do it. And so I believe he found an organ player at a local church, you know, some somebody who was willing to let, let him sit with them. And in, in exchange, he did all of their lawn mowing. And that's how he first started playing the organ. I mean, full tenacity. And of course, a parent that was suggested, like, we don't have the money, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. Go figure it out. You know, go try to find out how you can do this. Um, yeah, I do have to say that those situations... As a parent, you want to give your children every opportunity, you know, we all do. But, you know, sometimes you hear about those situations and you're like, wow, those are the kids who are going to really go far because, you know, they're the ones who really want it. And Mm -hmm. if you really want it, you'll make it happen. So I I do kind of love those stories, although I don't walk the walk. You don't live that way. (laughs) No, I mean, I I get, you know, (laughs) I... Yeah, I mean, because you you have you feel like you can let him try things out. You have the money to let him try things out. Well, we also have just one child. Yeah. So, and I and I do think that I believe that music education is so much more valuable than training for future professionals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know it's great that there are professional musicians out there in the world, and we're all grateful for them and the beauty and the art that they bring to our lives. But there is so much value in studying music, even if no one is ever going to hear you and even if you're bad at it, because musical learning and musical education, it does something to your brain. It Well, first of all, I mean, obviously, there's just the the artistic aspect of it. You're, you're just like going to an art gallery. You're you cannot help but be more more enriched if you're doing something like that, whether or not you you use that training for any practical purpose. But even just on a brain level, like it it does something. It changes the connections in your brain and they've proven this. And so for us, we knew we were going to give him music lessons, not because we had any designs that he would become a professional musician, but simply mm-hmm. because, mostly because of this. And also because I think it's great as an adult to be able to play a musical instrument. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a great gift. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I think that that's why we... Well, I mean, you're speaking my sister's language right now because my sister is a music teacher. <laughs> the whole time I'm like, you know, thinking about how much music programs are cut from schools in America often to like save money. Yeah, I think music should be <laughs> like math. Like, look, here's yes. the thing, Katie. And I say this to, to other, the other parents at, at my kid's school who scoff because the kids have to like do the recorder and stuff. Music is as important as math, period. You have to learn math. Why? We're not going to become mathematicians. I mean, maybe some of us will. Some Maybe some of us will become engineers. But the vast majority of people are not using algebra or anything past algebra in their daily lives. But yet we we learn it. We learn it so that we're well-rounded people and we learn it because it, it develops our brains. Music is the exact same thing. And it bothers me that it's not treated in the same way. Well, and I think that that's why we have to like also work to try to provide the opportunities for other people to be able to get access to this stuff. You know? Absolutely. Because, I mean, that is true, like, that, you know, maybe there is a an amazingly talented person who will just never get the opportunity, will never get the the schooling, the means, the space in life, you know? And I do think a lot about the people that don't have the space in life, that it's like, you know, everything leads to another to another, and you're always just trying to stabilize. And, and how do you provide opportunities for those people so they can make these bigger discoveries about who they want to be beyond basic survival how can the opportunity exist when you're just trying to 
survive. But at the same point, you know, it does exist. Like there's there's still a spark there, like the human energy to like create and make art and laugh and explore is is in every place I've ever been, you know. And so it is really a matter of, I guess, bringing back to that original question, like will a person discover it no matter what? You know, will they will they have an artistic bent no matter what or whatever it is a bent toward it could be as much bent toward math, you know, you know, but whatever it is, like, will they will do people naturally find their ways is a really interesting question, because I have seen like people find their way even in the hardest of circumstances. Yeah, also. they have. Those are those are the most inspiring stories of all. I love the story of the Bronte sisters. Although, of course, they were not living in deep poverty, but they were they were not wealthy either. I just remember as a child reading a story about them and about how they had this brother who was there was I think there was one only one boy in the family and all of the family resources were just completely poured into the son Mm -hmm. and he was sent off to school and he was given the best tutors and, you know, he was just a total abject failure in every single thing that he did. And the girls were just at home. They had basic schooling. They, they knew how to read and write, clearly. But, you know, <laughs> I just remember the, the stories of them writing by candlelight, having very little time in the day to write and having very little space and no one took them seriously. But yet they all turned out, all these three sisters turned out to be these incredibly brilliant authors. Mm-hmm. I was was inspired by that story. Yeah. I mean, and that still happens everywhere, like all over the world, like where all the resources are poured into the sun, you know. Yeah. The well, I don't know if you've to... ever read um, A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf. No, I have not. She, well, she posits this hypothetical situation. What if Shakespeare had been a girl? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what would have happened to her, you know, with this burning, burning, incredible brilliant genius talent inside of her where would she have gone what would she have done in that same time period she would never have been able to succeed according to virginia wolf so yeah it's um it's an interesting to think about it is interesting to think about well of course we welcome your thoughts on this uh if you want to send us an email bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com or you know just hit us up on one of the social medias we're really not on Twitter much anymore. I will admit that. <laughs> it's called, it's not called Twitter anymore. All right. So, you know, maybe more Instagram, Facebook, somewhere in there. Yes. Right. Well, and Katie, well, before we close, Katie, yes. I do want to ask you, should I take piano lessons? I mean, <laughs> do you have the time for piano lessons? I mean, I think I could, I think I could find the time to do it every other week and then practice for like 15 to 20 minutes a day because I was mm-hmm. playing the piano for about 10 to 15 minutes a day last year as part of my establishing good habits thing and I loved it I loved every second of it I just loved practicing mm-hmm. um but like I said I didn't feel like I was getting any better and Aurelio has a wonderful piano teacher whom I just adore her I just really really like her she's a brilliant pianist and she comes to our house to teach Aurelio so it wouldn't be that and big of a lift to have her spend an extra half an hour with you. I think the hardest thing would be finding a spot in her schedule because her schedule is is crazy. But it would be great for her because it would be it'd be the same spot, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's quite affordable. I mean, you might as well so, ask her about it. I mean, yeah. when I took piano lessons back in the day, I went at the same time as my sister. And 
so this would be the dynamic maybe with you and Aurelio. And Wait, sister, together to, or one after Together, the other? but we both would get dropped off at the same time. So I would sit on the couch and read while my sister was getting oh, her lesson. And then she'd have to sit on the couch and read while I was getting mine. And I think okay. that as far as ending our conversation about are you naturally drawn to certain things, I always looked forward to reading on the couch <laughs> that hour. And she had a whole stack of Shel Silverstein books. And I looked forward more to reading Shel Silverstein than I did to like when it was my turn to get up and do the lesson. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> more drawn to the writing and less to the uh, practicing the piano. Whereas I think my sister was the opposite. And she can correct was me if I was wrong. Was it your sister who but... ended up being, was it Dana who ended up being a piano teacher? No, it, um, it, she's not so much a piano teacher, though she does play the piano. Uh, music, sorry, music teacher. I yes, to music. Uh, no, it was my sister Sarah. All three of us took piano lessons, and uh, both Dana and Sarah kept up on it longer. I only lasted a year. But I think, mm -hmm. and Sarah can correct me, but I believe that she was more kind of rattly and re ready to go when I, it was my turn to be doing the lesson, where... I would, could have lounged around reading those wacko poems all afternoon. You know, I would have been fine with that. All right. Well, we should leave it there. Uh, and until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. What first pulled me into The Bittersweet Life was Katie's sound piece. I think several times I just listened to that intro without listening to the rest of the podcast because it brought me right into Rome. It brought Rome right into my room in Salem, Oregon. And slowly I began to listen to Katie and to Tiffany to see the arc of their friendship, to understand their personal narratives. I'm a painter. I often listen to podcasts when I work in the studio. And I love having the bittersweet life in the studio with me.